Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we've got a review of David Leibovitz's favorite holiday snack mix, and we'll intro not one, but two homemade licorices, including one that's gluten-free. Then, buckle up. The globetrotting gourmet is taking a road trip from Venice to Prague, and she's making lots of pit stops to sample the sweet treats in four different countries. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, now that we are coming into the home stretch of December and therefore of 2019, thoughts turn, of course, to the 20 for 20 baking resolutions. <laughs> I know I'm so excited about repeating our fun 19 for 19 experiment and creating a 20 for 20. I had a good time doing it. And so I can't wait to see what we come up with for next year. Yeah, and you know, listeners gave us so many inspired and really creative resolutions that we helped to incorporate into the 19 that we tackled this year. So we know we can rely on you for some more for the 20 for 20. Send us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com. Post in our Facebook group. Let us know. It can be funny. It can be lighthearted. It can be serious. What would you like to see us tackle for the new year for the 20 for 20. Yeah, I'm excited to see what our listeners come up with. They're a fun group. And, you know, let me just throw out there right now, I don't mind having some low-hanging fruit, easy resolutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, (laughs) please. Not everything has to be an eight-strand holla. (laughs) I don't mind the world knowing that the New Year's resolution non-baking related that I've had the most success with in my life ever was to wear more jewelry. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. Easy, fun, done. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's what we're looking for here, people. Help us out. Yep, that's that's right in that vein would be great. Thanks very much. Stefan, one of my friends posted on Facebook this week. She was traveling through some more rural areas of Washington, mm-hmm. and she had something called a spud nut, which I had never heard of. How about you? What? <laughs> spud nut. A spud nut. Yeah. Any ideas? All right. Um, let me extrapolate. Some kind of potato product uh, with some kind of nut garnish? Well, once you hear what it is, you'll be <laughs> you'll say, oh, of course that's what it is. Okay. It is a donut uh-huh. made with potato. Oh, of course. Yeah. A spud oh. nut. Oh, so cute. Apparently, it's a real thing, and people love these, and I've never had one. So Mm. I just wanted to put that out there if any listeners have a good recipe for making a little spud nut at home, since I've never even seen them anywhere. (laughs) Or I guess if you know anywhere that's not too far from Olympia, Washington, let me know where I might be able to get one of these. Well, you know, it reminds me of the Yukon Gold Potato Cinnamon Rolls that we did from Northwest Chef Greg Atkinson last January. Yes. So I wonder if it's a similar Mm -hmm. kind of batter. Also, holiday time, we eat a lot of mashed potatoes this time of year. Maybe you'll have some left over and maybe you incorporate it. Who knows? Let's let's find a recipe and figure it out. Also, Spud Nut might be my second favorite name that we've ever had on this show right after Cornish Chunky. So I love it. 
It does. It, it's it got just a great uh, sound in your mouth, doesn't it? The spud nut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. Well, speaking of delicious and fun, this week we baked along David Leibovitz's spicy glazed nuts and pretzel mix. During our Confection Affection Month, we wanted to give some crunch and some spice. Andrea, I know you are a big fan of spice, and also we're both big fans of David Leibovitz. This recipe came from his Sweet Life in Paris book, was a mix of some mixed raw nuts of your choosing. He suggested cashews, almonds, peanuts, pecans, hazelnuts, but use what you had. Some butter, some brown sugar, cinnamon, cayenne, or red pepper powder, although he does have some notes on that. Some maple syrup, sea salt, and then two cups of pretzel twists. You're baking that all up and hopefully coming out with a delightful mix, as David says, that you can have with an aperitif. So, Andrea, any aperitifs in your future? (laughs) (laughs) There are definitely aperitifs in my future, but I will start off with the nut mix and tell you what I did. Now, I did have cashews in my pantry, but when I went to pull them out, I realized they were already roasted and salted. Mm, And he does recommend using raw nuts and untoasted nuts. Yeah. So I ended up using one cup of raw almonds, a half a cup of hazelnuts, which as you mentioned last week, I did have leftover from a prior recipe. Yep. And then a half a cup of pecan halves. Okay. I left the halves whole. Does that make sense? I didn't chop them up. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I fully endorse that. Yes. Okay. Good call. Yeah, You don't want like little tiny pieces here. No. It was nice having big chunks. I followed the recipe as written. I had absolutely no problems or even variations. I just toasted those nuts in a 350 degree oven for 10 minutes. I did stir it once about halfway through just to make sure everything was getting toasted evenly. Yeah. Yep. I took his advice and melted that butter in the big bowl where I was going to be doing the mixing. I just melted it over a little simmering pot on the stove. So kind of like a little impromptu double boiler. Okay. I added the brown sugar. Now I have that wonderful Muscovado dark brown Mm. sugar, and that's what I used because I thought that would taste so good with this. Yes. Then I added the cinnamon, the cayenne. We always have cayenne on hand. My husband loves it, you know, more than life itself. The maple syrup was really fun. I had just had a friend come back from Victoria, British Columbia, and she had brought me this cute little jar of maple syrup. And the jar is in the shape of a maple leaf. Oh, those are so cute. So it was so much fun to use that. Yeah, it was adorable. Plus Canadian maple syrup, so delicious. That's what I think too. I mean, I I thought it tasted really good. The final two ingredients are just the flaky sea salt or kosher salt. Again, I used something from a fun gift set that I had been given or purchased, I'm not sure, but that Jacobson Salt Company that I've talked about before from Portland, Oregon. One of the salts in that set is a ghost chili salt. Ooh. I've never used it in anything else because I, you know, you know my rule. I don't think food should hurt. Yeah. And I know ghost chilies can be really, really spicy. Okay. But I thought, you know, this might be the perfect place. There's enough sweetness. It's only a teaspoon. I'm going to go for it. And then just two cups of small pretzel twist. And that's something I almost always have around the house. That's a snack we like. It's a snack my child likes. It's just an easy thing to pick up at the grocery store. I was thinking to myself, are pretzels as popular in London as they are here in the U.S.? Well, kind of yes and no. They do have pretzels here, but they are different. Oh. I may have mentioned this on the show before when we've done something with pretzels. 
The ones that I can find easily seem to just have a softer consistency than that snap that mm, I'm used to. Yeah. The brand I really like in the States is Snyder's of Hanover. That's what I used. Yes. I think they're really, really good pretzels. And I can find them here. It's not a problem. I think it worked fine in this recipe because not only are you coating them with all of these delicious ingredients, but you're baking them too. So they do get a little crisper. So yeah, I could find them. That wasn't an issue for me. Okay. As far as my nut mix, Andrea, I went with my leftover hazelnuts as well. Perfect. I also had some raw cashews. I almost always have cashews in the house. They're one of my very favorites. And then I also put in walnuts. I really love walnuts. I had some delicious organic walnuts in the house. And like you, I did not chop any of those. I left them whole. To me, that's what you want here, like a big kind of fun and cheerful handful of the pretzel and the nut. Mm, Nice. That worked great. Now, I did variation here that I wasn't too happy with. So Uh consider this a cautionary tale. At the bottom, he says, you know, if if you don't like spice or if you think this might be too hot, you can use any other kind of red pepper powder like ancho chili, chipotle, pimento, or paprika smoked or sweet. Yeah. I am obsessed with sweet smoked paprika. I use it in tons of my cooking. My family loves it. We always have some in the house. And my family is not a huge, I should say, my kids are not huge spicy people. So since I was making this batch first to see how I liked it before I was gifting it to anyone, I dialed back to a combo of that sweet smoked paprika and then just a dash of the chili powder. Mm, Yeah. I'm here to say it did not sing. Oh, no. I think this is a spot where you want to punch it. You're only having a nibble. I think something about maybe the baking or the, the process with the other sugar, with the other flavors. The sugar, maybe. Mm -hmm. It just was, it was fine, but you really wanted that punch. And so even if you're not a spicy, spicy person, I'd say go for it. Like, don't be shy here. Go for the cayenne and, you know, then see. But I think Mm -hmm. you're going to want that spice rather than the milder flavor of just the, the paprika. Yeah, and I can second that for sure because, as you know, I don't love the super spicy, but I did follow the recipe I used the three-quarter teaspoon of the cayenne. Yeah. And I know our cayenne is very fresh and pungent because I buy it all the time because my husband uses it like, you know, salt and pepper. I mean, he just puts it on everything. Okay. I also use that teaspoon of the ghost chili salt. So I had almost two teaspoons of spice. Yeah, you had a lot of spice. This was not too spicy at all. I mean, it was just perfect. Yeah. Also, there is a range of baking from 12 to 18 Mine was nicely toasted at the midway mark there. I should have probably pulled it. And it wasn't burnt by any means, but it was a little bit darker than I would have liked. So I just would keep a sharper eye on that time Mm. range. I didn't walk away from it. It wasn't, again, it wasn't burnt. It just, I think I would have liked this a little bit lighter than it was. Now, maybe with a stronger spice blend, it would have taken extra heat. But with a milder, milder spice I think watch for your cooking time a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But that said, Andrea, this was so easy. So easy. So good. (laughs) You've got everything for the most part Mm -hmm. around. You can throw it together. It's delicious, kind of warm as a nibble. Mm -hmm. I think it would be a great gift. I'm definitely making this again and playing around with those flavors. Yeah, I have a couple of notes from making it. I mean, number one, I put down five star. I just thought it was absolutely delicious. Of course, if you can get it warm out of the oven or, you know, as I discussed last week, if you happen to have a machine, you can plug into the wall and pop a quarter in and just, you know, get your hot nut mix right out of there. You could do that. (laughs) 
A couple of things that I noticed, number one is that I'm glad I did the combination that I did of my nuts. So I went heavier on the almonds and then lighter on the hazelnuts and the pecans. Okay. I think pecans, and maybe in your case, walnuts, they have much more of a sweetness to them, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they also, in my experience, were the ones that got really sugared. Good point. My pecans, you know, were very grainy and gritty and had the chunks of sugar on them, Mm -hmm. whereas my almonds and my hazelnut didn't pick up the sticky mixture as much. Well, they're smoother, aren't they? I think that's it. They don't have those cracks and crevices like the pecans and the walnuts do. Yeah, good point. So I thought that was delicious. I also had a lot of fun with this doing something that I call the perfect bite. Have I told you my story about the perfect bite? You have. We've talked about the perfect bite. Yes. People who haven't listened back in the beginning of the show, I talked about going to a wedding and a friend of mine was preparing a perfect bite for his husband and it was the Thanksgiving type meal and so he had a fork full that had the tiniest little piece of turkey Mm. and gravy and stuffing and mashed potato and a little (laughs) bit of Brussels sprout and I said oh my gosh look at like the care and attention you're putting into that and he said oh yeah I'm giving him a perfect bite oh it's got it all I know and I just thought it was the sweetest thing and so as I was making this and pulling it out and, of course, taking some photographs to send to you and get ready for our website, I noticed that some of my hazelnuts nestled just quite nicely into the pretzels. Oh, right, into the round area. Yeah, so that got me thinking. I was like, oh, I'm going to do perfect bite with this. (laughs) I made sure that instead of just, like, reaching in and grabbing a handful, every time I made sure I grabbed one pretzel, one hazelnut, one pecan, and one almond. Ugh. For one thing that's nice about that is it sort of slows you down because I'm here to tell you, I could Mm, plow through this entire snack mix, especially warm from the oven. So that made me slow down and really appreciate it and all the different flavors and that sort of thing. So I highly recommend eating it that way. I did have it as an appetizer before a dinner uh, with my aperitif. I mean, we just had wine. I didn't do anything fancy. (laughs) That was fun. I put it in a Ziploc bag in the pantry, and I almost forgot about it until about, mm, I think it was about four or five days later, and it was a teacher appreciation event at my daughter's school, and I needed to bring something. Pulled that snap mix out, and I thought, well, I'll try it, and if it's still good, I'll take it, and lo and behold, it was still just as delicious as day one. Yeah. So I think that butter and that sugar kind of keeps it from going stale. Yeah, and I stored mine in a canning jar with the, what's the lid called that kind of has a spring? What's that called? I know. You know what I mean. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know. Like a mason jar lid. The listeners are like screaming right Right, now at what that thing is called. And that also just is really cute. You know, Andrea, I also like this recipe because it hit a 19 for 19 for us, which was to use it up. We both used kind of things in our pantry. Yep. And then little teaser, in January, we're going to be doing some smaller batch baking. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was a nice small batch. It didn't make a ton. Yeah. It made a nice four cups, I think. And that's really all you need for maybe a small party or a small cocktail hour. It's enough. You don't have tons left over, but it's enough to gift also. So I thought the quantity on this was right on. Yeah. It's pretty. It's easy. It's delicious. And Uh, Here we are just, you know, a couple of weeks before the holidays. I think it makes a great gift. It's really nice packaged in like a plastic, uh, you know, see-through bag, a food-grade bag with a a nice ribbon tied around it. So Yeah, and a bottle of wine. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or a pair of teeth. Whatever you like there. (laughs) Whatever you like. (laughs) And now we're on to this week's Bake Along, which is some homemade licorice. And Stefan, we're going to split it up uh, this time, be a little bit different. So I am going to be making... 
a red licorice from Gluten-Free on a Shoestring. That's a fun name for a website. And you're going to be making a black licorice from Dessert for Two via the Food 52 website. Right. You picked licorice. Why don't you go ahead and tell me if you've ever made licorice before, if that's something that's always intrigued you. I have never made it, and it seemed so great that we could each take one. I think licorice is one of those sweets that's fairly polarizing, (laughs) especially black licorice. Yes. But something interesting has happened, and I've been solidly red licorice my whole life. Mm Mm-hmm. Since we've moved here, we had a good friend from Denmark, and she turned us on to this delicious licorice called Lacrids. And I have to tell you, it's changed my life. Oh. They have a bunch that will be chocolate-covered, caramel-covered. It's all kinds of gourmet licorice. And my husband and my daughter especially really love it. Oh, wow. I'm excited to give this one a try. It's also nice, Andrea... I'm not a big candy maker. This veers much more into a candy in that we're using a food thermometer. We are boiling Mm -hmm. it to a certain stage. All of these things that are really important when making candy. Yes. Who knew that licorice had flour in it? So. (laughs) I know. I'm not sure that's standard. (laughs) That kind of surprised me too. I have a whole wheat flour in mind. You have a a gluten-free version. So we thought it would be fun to each take one, and in point of fact, the recipes are fairly similar aside from some flavoring. So why don't you talk us through some of the ingredients here? Yeah, and let me jump in and start out with my flour because I hope I can save our listeners some time. So it's only a half a cup of flour, but it is gluten-free flour. I knew I had some gluten-free flour in my pantry. I use that Bob's Red Mill. I think it's called One for One. It comes in a blue bag. Yeah. But the second ingredient is a quarter teaspoon of xanthan gum. And it says, admit if your blend already contains it. Okay. I went to two or three different stores looking for xanthan gum, which I couldn't find anywhere. And it wasn't until I was in, I think, the third store that I thought, wait a minute. I know what kind of gluten-free flour I have at home. Why don't I look at the bag? Mm -hmm. And I did there on the shelf. And sure enough, it contains the xanthan gum. So okay, yeah. before you go trolling around town looking for xanthan gum, Look for it if you have gluten-free flour. I've looked it up because I got curious about it after I couldn't find it. It is in a lot of gluten-free flour because it takes on that role of thickening that gluten would normally take on. So that's that's why it's going to be there. Right. And in my recipe, I'm using a whole wheat flour, six tablespoons, and that just will naturally thicken, I believe, which is why I don't need the xanthan gum. Yes. And then I've got a little bit of salt. That's easy. And then the next ingredient, which is a gluten-free ingredient if you buy the Ann brand, is called cherry flavoring oil. This is something, since I was searching for xanthan gum anyway in all the baking aisles, I was also looking for this cherry flavoring oil. And I have to tell you, my grocery stores did not carry it, so I had to buy it online. So I want to give listeners a heads up if you want to bake along with this. You might want to spend a little time up front seeing if you can get this cherry flavoring oil. And that's similar for the black licorice. You need some anise extract. And Andrea, that's not one that I had. And I was easily able to find it on Amazon. There was lots of different brands. Maybe it's even on the grocery shelves uh, in the States. That is a very pungent extract, I'm here to tell you. Mm, Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Then I needed red gel food coloring. I have that. I did want to throw out there, I used to always buy the liquid food coloring, you know, the kind you use to, for example, dye Easter eggs. Yeah, right. And it was a couple years ago that I learned about gel food coloring, and since then I've switched over to that. I find that 
it imparts a much deeper color. Mm-hmm. You don't need as much. It mixes in more easily. So that's just my little shout out for gel food coloring. I think it's worth it. I used to have to get it at a cake specialty supply store. Yeah. But I noticed this time it was just in my regular Safeway. Wilton now even makes a pack of the gel food coloring. Yeah. And I think it's just very much more concentrated. And we're using mm-hmm. it here in both of these recipes. I'm using a concentrated black gel food coloring. I think that's because we don't want to add any more liquid yeah. into the candy, Good where point. it might be more of a consideration as far as some chemistry goes. I wouldn't substitute there. I would go for the gel. Splurge and, and you're worth it. And now black is one I think I would have to special order because I know my pack was red, yellow, green, and hmm. blue. I was going to say blue, but don't yellow and green make blue? Yeah. Primary colors. But not black. It wasn't black. It wasn't black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, black seems very like Halloween and then what else are you using it for when you're making licorice? So yeah, the other ingredients are fairly much the same as far as these recipe goes. We both have butter. We both have granulated sugar. You have a light corn syrup. I have a dark corn syrup. We both have sweetened condensed milk. You have Lyle's and I have molasses. But at that point, the ingredients are fairly the same as is most of the technique involved as well. Yeah, I was happy. I had light corn syrup left over from when we made marshmallows, so that was easy. My sweetened condensed milk at holiday time, I buy the four-pack or maybe even two of the four-packs Yes, early on in the season because I know I'm going to be using it for fudge. We're using it in this recipe, and heads up, go ahead and buy a little bit extra because we've got another recipe coming up this month that's going to use two cans of it. Yeah, that's right. Do go ahead and stock up on your sweetened condensed milk. And then the Lyles is so funny stuff. And, you know, I feel like it's so popular and easy to get a hold of. But I realized when I started shopping around that I had a hard time finding it. I had to go to two to three different grocery stores. And it reminded me of one of our listeners. I think it was listener Julie. Remember when she went on like a road trip across the state? (laughs) And she bought like a dozen of them. I do remember that. And what I'm so jealous of is she was able to find it in the squeeze bottles. I am only able to find it at one grocery store in town. It's in the British section of the grocery stores. Right. It's not even in the section of the grocery store where they sell all the regular pancake syrup. They they call it out as if it's this special exotic ingredient. As an import. The can is pretty, but I always have trouble getting it out and not getting the syrup stuck all over the can so yeah that's my final quibble on the list of ingredients I love 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 the flavor of Lyle's I decided not to substitute honey or molasses even though my recipe says I could because I just think it's so delicious but I do wish I could get it in a form other than that can well maybe Santa will listen to your wish list you never know (laughs) squeezy Lyle's I can find it everywhere here that's so funny oh so jealous The other piece of equipment that's crucial here is a candy thermometer, or I think, Andrea, you use your thermopen. Yep. You need something that you can tell easily when your mixture has reached 240 degrees. Now, for people who are really into candy making, they will know that is, I believe, the softball stage. That's going to let the sugar cook and things kind of knit together without it being hard. Andrea, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to homemade licorice. I'm super excited about this. I've never made licorice. I've never even thought of making licorice. You know, it's just <laughs> never even crossed my mind. I'm definitely in the red licorice camp, although I'm not a, a black licorice hater. Yeah. You know, given a choice, I'll usually get the red. I just think it's going to be really fun to try and make this at home. I do want to call out, as we always do, 
Step two, they say use a large, heavy bottom saucepan. And whenever you're making, you know, a sugar syrup, definitely make sure the sides of that are high enough. As this boils and reaches that 240, I have a feeling it's going to creep up the sides of the pan. And you want to be really careful there when you're making this. And by that same token, Andrea, in my recipe for black licorice, she specifically calls out a heavy two-quart saucepan. And I think that's interesting. Mm. I'm going to pay attention there because... There might be something about that size, which is not super big. Yeah, because two quarts is only four cups, right? Mm -hmm. That's four cups. small. Yes. So that's kind of my small little baby. Hmm. Something about that um, just kind of jumped out at me. I'm going to pay attention there. All right. Well, stay tuned, listeners, and let's see how this licorice turns out. Oh, you know, I often... I'm, well, I miss you so much, and I wish we were closer. And this is one because it'd be really fun to swap. Oh. We're just going to have to virtually swap. Yeah, just like we did our, our virtual cookie swap on our show last week. This will be I our know. virtual candy swap. Well, remember, we'll have a link to all of these recipes we've talked about today. That was the pretzel and nut mix from David Leibovitz, the red licorice from Gluten-Free on a Shoestring, and the black licorice from Dessert for Two via Food 52 in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 155 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook group. Stefan, over the years, we've talked a lot about our wish to do a preheated road trip, but you and your family actually did one recently when you traveled all the way from Venice to Prague. Yes, and though traveling from Italy to Czech Republic sounds intimidating, it's really only a matter of about 500 miles as the crow flies. We hit four countries in seven days, so I literally ate my way through Central Europe. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's worse ways to spend a holiday. (laughs) You also sent me some beautiful photos from the road, so I am dying to hear the backstory behind the suites that I've only seen. Let's start out where your adventure began in Venice. Venice bakeries are full of delicious-looking sweets. One that kept catching my eye was a bright green cake topped with blanched almonds. Almonds? I would have thought a green cake would have pistachios. You'd be right. I guess they just like mixed nuts. (laughs) These round cakes are called pan pistachio and are a variation on a sweet called pan del pescatore or fisherman's buns. Of course, Venice has a rich fishing history located as it is on the Adriatic Sea. Oh, okay. So what else was in that mix beside pistachios and almonds? So I tasted and saw citrus peel and dates. It was really moist and chewy from that fruit. And though I believe it's eaten year-round, it really tasted of the holidays to me. Oh, not to mention that seasonal color. Okay, next stop, Slovenia, which is sandwiched right between Italy and Austria. And what a gorgeous country with so much good food and beverage. I knew I had to try their homegrown Coca-Cola called Cocta. Now, Slovenia is one of the several states that declared independence after the breakup of Yugoslavia in the early 1990s. But prior to that, they couldn't import Western goods, including Coke. So they took matters into their own hands and created their own version. Even though they can get the real deal these days, they still have an affinity for their local brew. I thought it was a fair imitation, but more herbal tasting than Coke. In fact, Cocta's main ingredient is rose hips. Givelli. <laughs> Oh, that was really good. Thank you. (laughs) Moving on to Slovenia sweets. I know you sent me more than a few tantalizing pics from this country. I sure did. First up, Slovenian honey cake. Mm. Slovenia has a robust honey industry. And in fact, three types of its honey have EU geographical designation, which is a sought-after protection for some varieties specific to Slovenia. 
It's like how only true champagne can come from the Champagne region in France. Oh, right. Slovenians are justifiably proud of their honey, and in fact, the country has been called the heart and soul of beekeeping in Europe and produces 2,500 tons of honey each year. Oh, well, of course, it makes sense that they would come up with something to do with all of that honey, <laughs> like a honey cake. Does it taste like honey? To me, it tastes like a light gingerbread or a spice loaf. Mm. We spent a full day walking around the beautiful Lake Blade, and at the end of our walk, we were seduced by the smell of a fresh-baked loaf wafting out of a local cafe. The baker told us she also makes a honey ginger cookie that has much the same flavor, but in cookie form. Oh, that sounds so amazing. What else was good, Stefan? I'd heard about the next suite for years from a rather unlikely source. Andrea, are you familiar with the Vermont Country Store catalog? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's one of the things I look forward to every winter. It signifies the official start to the holidays <laughs> for me. <laughs> I have always been intrigued by the heritage items available for sale in that catalog, and one they've long offered is a walnut povitica. It's a beautiful swirled loaf bread with roots in neighboring Croatia as well as Slovenia. It was moist and almost dense, and that walnut flavor was prevalent but not overwhelming. In fact, my husband, who is not a huge walnut fan, he even liked it. Ooh, maybe I'll order one from the Vermont Country Store until I can get out to Slovenia. <laughs> Good idea. Stefan, it sounds like this country is a real foodie paradise. Anything left to tell us? I've saved my favorite for last, the famous Lake Blade Cream Cake, or as it's affectionately known in Slovenian, Kremsnita. I'd heard of this from a friend who visited Slovenia last summer, and all over town there are billboards about their famous dessert. Oh, love it. You gotta love a country that has billboards about cake. Right? <laughs> Despite its name, this was more like a vanilla cream pie. Two layers of flaky pastry filled with vanilla custard and whipping cream. Mm. We stopped into a local bakery to try one, and everyone in my family fell all over it. And it's one I would really love to make myself. 20 for 20! Unbelievably, we are only halfway through your trip. Next stop, Vienna. Now in Vienna, one must try the famous Sacher Torte, the chocolate cake with a layer of apricot jam and a heavy ganache frosting, usually served with a dollop of cream, created in Vienna in 1832. I've had that. Oh yeah. My local bakery, Left Bank Pastries, makes miniature versions of the Sacher Torte. One of the reasons I often get them is because they are naturally gluten-free. Oh, you may not know this, but National Sacher Tort Day was December 5th in the U.S. <laughs> you can celebrate wherever you are. I had cause to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> now, my dear husband actually found the place that Sacher Tort was invented, but as you might imagine, the line was out the door even about 9.30 at night. Fortunately, delicious Sacher Tort is available all over the city, and we found a very fine example at Vienna's famous Demel Chocolate Shop. That's among one of my favorites. But aside from chocolate, I also think of pretzels when I think of Austria. Did you guys run into any of those? Andrea, I had the most amazing sandwich of my life on the train <laughs> from Vienna to Prague. It wasn't the filling that made it so memorable. It was the bread. It was this pretzel croissant hybrid I cannot stop thinking about. A pretzant? A croissant? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you found something during your last stop in Prague that caught your eye as well. Well, up there with the blade cream cake, I loved Prague's street food specialty, the Tradilni, most of all. Although the origins of this treat are most likely neighboring Moravia, Slovakia, Romania, or Hungary, or a blend of all of them. And some people say this is a food created just for tourists. Stands are all over the place, and I had to give one a try. 
Yeah, I love that picture of you on the street eating what looked to me like a giant churro filled with whipped cream. (laughs) Pretty much. The tradelni is like a giant hollow churro, but instead of being deep fried, the batter is wrapped around a stick and roasted on a spit, then dusted with cinnamon sugar and walnuts and filled with your choice of ice cream, chocolate, fruit, whipped cream, or all of the above. Very messy, very delicious, and very memorable. You know, Stefan, you have filed so many globetrotting gourmet reports since you moved to London, but I have to say, this one may take the cake (laughs) for the most sweets in one week. Yeah, it's a good thing I was doing so much walking between all those bakeries. Listeners, we'll post some pictures of the sweets that Stefan's talked about today in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 155. And if you've made any of them, we'd love to know your favorite recipes. Drop us a line at host at preheatedpodcast.com. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning. And next week, we're up with a review of our homemade licorice, black and red. And we'll introduce a favorite Brazilian truffle that you can whip up with a minimum of fuss as the holiday deadlines approach. Then we'll dive into some popular kitchen myths. Are they full of truth or just full of hot air? Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe. And consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Stefan, one of our latest reviews comes from Carol. She titled it Great Baking Fun and said, I love this podcast. Andrea and Stefan are both natural and simultaneously professional. (laughs) They keep the baking and conversation fun and approachable. I often laugh while listening in the car on the way to work. It's honestly so refreshing. I always manage to learn something as well. Keep up the great work, ladies. I love that review. Thank you, Carol. Now, do you think that's Carol from California with the pie crust question? Oh, my goodness. It could be. Uh Oh, my gosh. Carol. This is Carol with a K. And obviously from a voicemail, I don't know how she spelled her name. But Mm -hmm. for some reason in my mind, that was Carol with a C. (laughs) Because she was from California. Oh, the mystery deepens. I think so. I think it was alliteration. So Carol's Carol's weigh in. Let us know. Carol's, do we have more than one of you out there in preheated land? Oh, that's so lovely. Wherever, whoever you are, Carol, we loved that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.